Hello, this is Damien, the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad, and host of the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. And this is my reply to Reformed Wiki 2.0's video, Ex-Christians Will Regret. I've been watching a lot of Reformed Wiki 2.0's video recently. They represent a strand of Christianity that I didn't follow or totally agree with, but I admired their courage and dedication to the cause. But now I'm on the other side of the faith, and now that I've considered the God question with a lot more clarity, I find it interesting that large groups of adults believe weird things simply because they believe a book. So when they posted a video saying, ex-Christians will regret, I simply had to find out, what will I regret? What will happen to me? Have I made the wrong decision? This is a tall, friendly atheist dad's look at ex-Christians will regret. I'm Deborah Grace, author of the book Crucifying the Bible, available on Amazon, and you're listening to the Tall, Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. So far from lies and hypocrisy Rifters to energy And silence becomes McLaughlin and Link Neal, entertainers and YouTube sensations, host of the immensely popular Good Mythical Morning Channel and Ear Biscuits podcasts. Abraham Piper, John Piper's son and TikTok sensation. Joshua Harris, author of the popular book I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Marty Sampson, former Hillsong worship leader and songwriter. Paul Maxwell, former Desiring God contributor former philosophy professor at Moody Bible Institute. These men have turned away from the Christian faith. Some people call it deconstruction, but that's really just another word for apostasy. Yes, correct. We are apostates. I am an apostate. But I think the best question to ask is, do you think people become apostates because they have honestly tried to make sense of the Christian faith as best they could, but couldn't square theology with reality? Or do you think people become apostates because we just love our sin? In other words, they are just non-Christians now. And not just non-Christians, they are now essentially anti-Christians who are loudly proclaiming their new non-Christian worldviews. Isn't freedom of speech a wonderful thing? I mean, Christians proudly proclaim anti-Muslim, anti-Scientologist, anti-homosexual, anti-abortion, anti-apostate views, and you are more than entitled to your opinion. But if Christianity is able to withstand rational scrutiny, then you shouldn't be afraid to let it be scrutinized and found to be correct. John Cooper, lead singer for the Christian rock band Skillet, got it right when he posted, 
What is happening in Christianity? More and more of our outspoken leaders or influencers who were once faces of the faith are falling away. And at the same time, they are being very vocal and bold about it. Shockingly, they still want to influence others. For what purpose? As they announce that they are leaving the faith. What is happening? We are discovering more about the world around us. We are being honest with ourselves and we are realizing that the predominant reason someone becomes a Christian is because of inculcation, not because of a rational consideration of the evidence. And for what purpose? To show that you're not a bad person if you question your beliefs, that it's okay to honestly question and that there may just be a better way of living life than what we have historically understood. I am stunned that the seemingly most important thing for these leaders who have lost their faith is to make such a bold new stance. Basically saying, I've been living and preaching boldly something for 20 years and led generations of people with my teachings, and now I no longer believe it. Therefore, I'm going to boldly and loudly tell people it was all wrong, while I boldly and loudly lead people in to my next truth. I'm perplexed why they aren't embarrassed, humbled, ashamed, fearful, confused. Why be so eager to continue leading people when you clearly don't know where you are headed? If we make a mistake, are we not allowed to admit that we made a mistake? I mean... Isn't that a sign of humility, that we turn away from something which we realize was wrong? I know intellectual honesty isn't a defining feature of the mentality of Calvinists and other fundamentalists, but still, give a man a break. But let me guess, if someone went from boldly and loudly telling people about atheism to boldly and loudly telling people about Christianity... That is perfectly fine, because they're not just proclaiming their truth, they're proclaiming the truth. Come on, John. Don't be such a f***ing hypocrite. In February of 2020, both Rhett and Link each posted videos that were nearly two hours long explaining their deconstruction. I had never looked at the evidence revolution. I'd, I had read books about it written by people who didn't believe it. This is exactly the mentality of young earth creationists. And it is why I say repeatedly that creationists typically don't understand evolution any further than what creationist tropes will allow. It's very rare that you get a creationist who understands evolution to any respectable degree of scientific accuracy. And I've never come across a young earth creationist who can discuss the theory of evolution as an equal with a published researcher. What I've also found is that no matter how many times you challenge a creationist about their blatant quote mining, misinterpretation of research, or whatever fallacy they use to justify anti-intellectual beliefs, they simply will not allow themselves to understand what our understanding of biology teaches us about how evolution actually works. Instead, they make up such pithy quotes as From Goo to you via the zoo. 
Or Bacteria don't become babies. Or So you believe an elephant can give birth to a pine tree. Or even really dumb and asinine stuff such as Evolution can't account for logic or thought or altruism. I was even further troubled, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm losing my faith in the Old Testament, but I'm also losing my faith in those same Christian thinkers who have said all this stuff that like, guys, you, you, this is solid as a rock. You can stake your entire life on these truths and they'll always be vindicated. This was like a kind of a breath of fresh air for me, honestly, coming to California with all these doubts. I found these Christians who had these doubts, Christians who saw the Bible differently. But I took a second to go one layer deeper and to look at the answers to the Christian answers that I had been given all my life. And that was when I realized that this Jesus thing was very, very messy. If you've listened this far, let me tell you one thing. It is okay to doubt. I doubt my atheism a lot. I have doubts about my understanding of evolution. I know that I don't have a complete grasp of the Bible. Doubt is okay. But what isn't okay is to call someone evil or stupid for honestly doubting and then blindly telling them to cede their intellect to a book written by men who didn't understand how babies are formed under the idea that something bad will happen to you if you don't. This is a threat, not an argument. And I'll say this, if the people you surround yourself with don't want you to think for yourself, you need to surround yourself with better people. By far, to me personally, the most compelling and seemingly reasonable view was that the Gospels appear to be a mix of religious propaganda as well as actual history. I would actually say it's more a mix of religious propaganda and myth. The Jesus of the Gospels is clearly a rewrite of Greek and Jewish heroes put into a contemporary setting, much like Scarlett O'Hara was contemporary with Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind gets lots of historical details correct, but you would never say that Scarlett O'Hara was a real historical person. And so in that vein, I don't think the Jesus of the Gospels existed. I was creating God in my own image as opposed to God creating me in his image. This is very true of Christians today, especially fundamentalists and especially Calvinists. I'll sum it up with this statement. I hate who God hates and God hates who I hate. I hate homosexuals. So does God. I hate welfare recipients. So does God. I hate sexual deviants. So does God. I hate drug users. So does God. I hate adulterers. Well, so does God. I hate those Mormons with their multiple wives. So does God. I hate atheists. What do you know? So does God. What a funny coincidence that God hates all the people that you hate as well. And I felt like it was on me, but I started to question if it was, if it was, 
worth it. You just can't know. And I started to feel it was more likely that he didn't actually raise from the dead. One thing that helped me question my faith was understanding what the Gospels are and why they were written the way they were written. And to do that, you have to drop the presupposition that they are matter-of-fact biographies. This isn't to say outright that the Gospels aren't biographies. And if there is a way we can prove they are, then I'll happily accept that they are. But in my experience, Christians tend to assume outright that the Gospels are matter-of-fact biographies and then dig their heels in defending that presupposition even in the face of modern scholarship. The other thing I've noticed is that the presupposition that the Gospels are matter-of-fact biographies is used as a way of keeping you from questioning. By continually proclaiming that the Gospels are 100% truth and then calling anyone who doubts it unfaithful, a compromiser, or of listening to the Council of Fools, you're actually making thinking for yourself a bad thing. We want more intellectual honesty and inquiry, not less. Of course, nothing Rhett or Link said are unanswerable questions for Christians. They argue against apologists like Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell, Tim Keller, and Ravi Zacharias. Yes, all of those people are prominent apologists. And it's good to counter false claims that are being widely promoted. Those apologists in particular are famous for espousing bad arguments, and in one case, for being a hypocritical sex creep, as well as being an espouser of bad arguments. But pop apologists are allowed to give their opinion, and people like me, Rhett, and Link are all free to counter their opinion. Bad ideas deserve to be pulled apart, and good ideas deserve to be explored. You know, my number one pet peeve when it comes to the culture war and origins is that people will allow evolutionists to talk about evolution like it's fact, like it's absolutely proven, and, and be intimidated when it comes to talking about creationism as though there's absolutely no fact or no science on our side. And nothing could be further than the truth. The fact of the matter is there's actually more scientific scientific evidence on our side than there is on theirs. And there's more presupposition on their size on their side than there is on ours. Spoken like someone who has swallowed Frank Turex and Answers in Genesis's rhetoric, hook, line, and sinker. There is no scientific evidence for creation. There is no testable hypothesis. There is no observation to be made. And at its core, creationism, or intelligent design, is simply This thing looks complex, therefore God. The very definition of argument from ignorance. I would urge that gentleman, and anyone who listens to that gentleman, to read up on the Kitzmiller versus Dover trial judgment, and to see why, when the two sides argue the case, in front of a George Bush-appointed evangelical judge, the judge sided with the scientific side of the case, not the creation one. 
And further to that, I'd also urge you to listen to my interview with Glenn Branch from the National Centre for Science Education about the whole Kitzmiller versus Dover case from someone who had a front row seat. They never mentioned deeper, philosophical, arguably stronger arguments made by apologists such as Gordon Clark, Greg Bonson, and Cornelius Van Til. That's because pre-sup apologetics promulgated by people like Bonson and Van Til are not good arguments for God. It's actually the worst kind of apologetics. Because essentially, it's intellectual gaslighting. By arguing that you can't think without God giving you the ability to think. Or that you need God to make sense of the world. Or that God gives you the foundation for intelligibility. It actually opens the gate up to second-guessing your whole existence. Or this idea that you need God to disprove God. Or that a worldview without God reduces to absurdity. These are all entirely anti-intellectual. And then by presupposing your truth, refusing to argue honestly, and then tossing out philosophical word salad and playing philosophical mind games, you just look like an idiot. And if your argument is that you need special knowledge of God to know God, then you can't prove God. And if you can't prove God, why do you believe in him? Therefore, we have a justification that satisfies the preconditions necessary for the intelligibility of the uniformity in nature. All human experience, let me say it again, all human experience depends upon the uniformity in nature. Half correct. Intelligibility kind of depends upon the uniformity of nature, but it more depends on our neurological functions working. For example, if you're drunk, sleep-deprived, or have a brain injury, all of a sudden, your capacity for intelligibility goes out the window. Nature is still uniform in those aspects, but your brain, which contains your mind and does all your cognition, all of a sudden that's gone and your intelligibility is gone. So intelligibility only slightly depends upon the uniformity of nature. All human experience is dependent upon the principle of induction. Our opponents will assume this all night. They're doing it right now. They'll not, however, be able to justify their appeals to it given their atheistic presuppositions. And by the way, there are no atheistic presuppositions. There are naturalistic ones, but no atheistic ones. You can be both spiritual and an atheist. The Christian worldview denies what atheists like Dr. Clark and Mr. Ellis claim about reality, that it is simply matter in motion or that all that exists is the material universe. The Christian worldview maintains that there are material and immaterial aspects to reality and our existence. And whenever theists have been asked to prove the claims of an immaterial aspect to life, they haven't been able to provide anything above anecdotes or post hoc ergo propter hoc. Most of the time, and especially if you argue the case on Twitter, you'll just get Bible or naturalism can't prove or Richard Dawkins said something horrible once. Or sometimes Twitter Christians don't even bother and just make an evil Stalin a straw man out of atheism and go, atheism says you can rape and kill. In an article titled, Let's Deconstruct a Deconversion Story, The Case of Rhett and Link, Alisa Childers notes concerning Rhett, 
He suggested that if all these apologists and theologians were to recant their stories and change their opinions, their livelihoods would be at stake. Aside from the fact that most apologists have day jobs, this leads to a fair question. What would Rhett and Link stand to lose if they didn't capitulate to culture on an issue like same-sex marriage? This is actually a good point. We in today's culture aren't very good at engaging with people who hold opposite views to ours. But I will argue two things in response here. Almost every single argument against same-sex marriage and gay rights are founded in a theology of hatred, not from a data-driven and analytical stance. Remember, God hates who I hate. And two, pop apologists mostly write books and do speeches for their income, and they are free to recant. But the scholars usually work for institutions or theological schools attached to big-name academic institutions that require statements of faith to be signed before employment. Money is one thing, but prestige is another. Whatever their motivations, two things seem clear. First, Rhett and Link do not have any answers. They're just turning away from Christianity, which we would argue does have answers. I haven't watched the whole Rhett and Link deconversion story thing, but they're free to not have answers. It's okay to not know, and it's okay to not have an answer down to the nth degree about the minutiae of something. What is not okay is pretending to have the answer when you don't really have one, and it's not okay to pretend that a book written for a completely different people group, for a completely different culture, in completely different languages, has the answers when we can clearly see what that book is saying is not literally true. The second, rejecting Christianity makes it much easier for Rhett and Link to maintain and expand their popularity in a culture that hates biblical value. Because when we seriously consider it, we hate fundamentalist biblical values because fundamentalist biblical values are fundamentally hatred. Abraham Piper is John Piper's son. Abraham was excommunicated from Bethlehem Bible Church when he was 19 because he wanted to stop pretending that he was a Christian. Which is a shame because if the church is about reaching the lost, then you don't kick the lost out of the place they need to come to. When I announced that I lost my faith, the Baptist church I was in still welcomed and valued my contribution. They let me serve of my own accord, and I left of my own accord, and none of my friends or leadership there excommunicated me. Actually, I made more friends in my church as an atheist than I did as a believer. Which, again, just goes to show, fundamentalist biblical values are fundamental hatred. Way to show the love of Jesus, guys. Let's say Christian Hellfire is real. If I got to hold the worst person ever over an open flame, how long could I do it? It's stupid and grotesque. But we're talking about hell here, so yeah, stupid and grotesque. Could I even do it for five seconds? No, of course not, and neither could you. Because it doesn't matter how bad they are, we're good. Good enough to not burn people alive anyway. What's interesting to me about this thought experiment that nobody asked me to conduct is that it shows you have to be insanely evil yourself to give evil people what they... 
Very interesting. <laughs> yes, um, there is no way I could burn someone alive simply because they violated rules that I arbitrarily made up. Most people have ideas of hell based upon Dante. I'm sure most of you, all of you, read in high school Dante's Inferno and have ideas that hell is some sort of kind of twisted, malignant, gleeful torture of human beings. It's not. You say, well, that's good. It's worse. It is perfect justice. It is perfect, pure, blinding justice. The fact that someone can accept and be comfortable with the idea of hell as a place of extreme torture and worship and love the deity that created this place of torture says a lot about those type of Christians. We first need to ask, what finite crime can a finite being do to offend an infinite God, especially an infinite God supposedly of infinite love and grace? And then the next question I have is, what kind of God of love is God? Even the Greek and Roman gods of love never went to the stage of vowing to torture their enemies forever after a final cataclysmic battle. So I'll say it one more time. The theology of biblical fundamentalists seems to be fundamental hatred. A couple of years later, Harris announced that he would be launching a course about deconstructing one's faith called Reframing Your Story, which would include a starter pack costing $275. And this is somehow different to Frank Turek running online courses? This is somehow different to any other pop apologist charging money? This is somehow different to any scholarly apologist charging money for a course? But one thing to note is that Josh Harris took down his course after acknowledging valid criticism. However, soon after launching this course, Harris took down the course because of widespread criticism. If only apologists, both professional and amateur, publicly admitted their mistakes. Marty Sampson, former Hillsong worship leader and songwriter, told the Christian Post, I have and continue to analyze the arguments of prominent Christian apologists and biblical scholars, and am open-minded enough to consider the arguments of atheist debaters and debaters from other religions. Wow, what a pleasant attitude. If only fundies did that. He brought up questions like why God, who is supposed to be unconditionally loving, sends people to hell, why pastors fail morally, and why advances in science seem to be piercing the truth of every religion. Again, like with Rhett Link and Abraham's arguments against Christianity, there are answers to all of these questions. I agree there are answers, but are they good answers? Do they withstand the best and most honest scrutiny we can reasonably apply? It simply seems that these men are choosing not to accept the answers that are being given. Yes, because they're bad answers. This kind of fundamentalist dummy spit is like being angry at the kid who sits next to you for getting a higher score on the math test. I gave you answers. Why did I fail the test, but my classmate got a higher score? Because your answers are wrong. You just can't handle truth. 
All of these men will regret their decision to reject Christianity. Why will people like me and people like these men all regret their decision to reject Christianity? The most I can gather here is the threat of hell. Rather than make a convincing case that overcomes reasonable doubt, this strand of Christianity would rather go, you'll see in the end, you'll get what's coming to you. This is emotional manipulation, plain and simple. Which does indeed have answers to the questions they ask. Whether people will accept these answers rather than succumb to the pressures and temptations of the world is the real question. I honestly don't know anyone who left the Christian faith simply because they just really wanted to sin. If you actually want a worldview that allows you to sin, then Christianity is it. Even Jesus himself said, no sin is unforgivable except blasphemy of the Spirit. And given that there's no consensus on what blasphemy of the Spirit actually is, sin away. This is not about attacks from the outside but the inside. The much more devastating, the much more subtle, the much more destructive assault on the truth from those who profess to know the truth. We have to battle inside. It's as if we are in a fortress and ready to defend that fortress. I'll agree. You are in a fortress. You've closed yourself off to the outside world and you're digging your heels in. 